He, that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Siri. He is enough. I love, I, I love the, uh, they were walked out and, hey, man, look, it's my spine. <laughs> you can't do that. There's no other, there's nothing in life that makes a human being capable of rejoicing in the midst of catastrophe and affliction and hardship. Only Jesus Christ is enough. Only He is enough that even if everything falls apart, He's enough to hold it together. And I love it. It's not about what He gives you. It's Him. You know what makes heaven great? He's there. It's not about streets of gold. It's not about fishing with my buddies or whatever it is. It's not the great family reunion in the sky. Not that all those things might be possible. But what makes heaven great is Jesus is there. And we're going to be with Jesus face to face. And that, that's what's great. He, him, he is great. And I'm excited as we continue our series, Behold the Man, a systematic study of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to get to know him more and more and more. Now, if you remember week one, we looked at some context. We looked at what was going on in the world. Tried to understand a few things. Uh, week two, we looked at the, the great big picture that uh, John gives us as he opens his gospel. We looked at Jesus Christ existing before the very foundation of the world. That matter of fact, that the world was created through him, by him, and for him. That while we get a birthday for Jesus in the sense of Christmas and we celebrate his incarnation, but Jesus himself, he is a member of the Godhead. He existed from eternity past. He has always been. Jesus just is. Last time, week three, we looked at the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we looked at his family tree. All right, and it was important, and we, we looked at how David was the king, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, the promised king that would reign forever. He was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He was the offspring through whom the entire world would be blessed that was promised to Abraham all those years ago. We took a look at the Edenic covenant, which was God's original agreement with Adam in the garden, even before Eve was created, which was a covenant of works. Do this and this will happen. And the problem is he didn't do it. He did not do it. And so a new covenant would come and we get the Adamic covenant or the covenant of redemption. That there would be a son, there would be an offspring who would crush the serpent's head. It's this picture of Jesus coming to destroy the work of the devil that was started that day in the Garden of Eden. And again, Jesus Christ would be born and he would be the fulfillment of this covenant. And we kind of concluded, what's the point, Sean? Why does that matter? Well, A, the Lord Jesus Christ's family tree helps us see that he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to David, to Abraham, to Adam. To Adam. Ultimately, he is, he is the fulfillment of God's covenants. And we talked about why, why does that matter to me then? What, what, what does that mean in my life? A, uh, the fate of all of our eternities. I say my eternity, but no, no, no. The fate, if you're a person that's ever existed, the fate of your eternity. Everybody here is a person. I don't care how weird you are. You're still people. All right? Your eternity rests solely on Jesus Christ being exactly who he is. And subsequently, my response to that question, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say? Your entire eternity rests on Jesus being who he says he is and your response to that. Well, Jesus already is who he is. The real question, the only variable in the equation that's uncertain is your response. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? And then we talked that every single name listed in these genealogies, and you heard me sputtering water and trying to, to make it through, you know, all these crazy names. 
They are a miraculous example of God's unwavering, unending love, His power and His faithfulness to provide for His children. And He provided through a bunch of screwed up people, man. These were not like all tippy-top, number one people in the world. They, this, a lot of these people were messes. But God accomplished His purpose in, despite them. And that no matter, we ended with this, this thought, no matter what, no matter what you are facing in your life right now, no matter what you'll be facing in your life in the future, no matter what is going on, you can absolutely trust and depend fully on the faithfulness of God. He has not dropped the ball one time. And the same God that holds eternity in His hands, that created everything, that very same God reaches out His hand to you in the Lord Jesus Christ and says, Come here. I got you. Come with me. Trust me. I hold it all together, and I'm holding you. And that's where we left off last week. This week, we're going to look at the Annunciation. The Annunciations of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was thinking through this, and what's funny is you guys know, uh, you know, I harassed Joe Drysdale. Joe Drysdale harasses me. Uh, we got a whole little thing. And what's funny is I use that phrase, Annunciation, and Joe says, what are you talking about? And I'm like, ah, are you kidding me? Superman theology and you don't know what that means? You guys are going to know. If you are here Sunday and you see Joe, be like, I know what Annunciation means, bro. You get him, Okay. Annunciations. All the annunciations are, it is like you would probably, most of you think, announcements? Yeah, that's, that's it. It's specifically the announcements from God, okay? In other words, God sending the message through the angel Gabriel. He's actually identified of the impending births of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a big deal that this angel Gabriel is identified. I just want to let you guys know, uh, there's only three angels really identified in Scripture by name. We get Gabriel, we get Michael, we get Lucifer. That's it. There's no other angels identified. It's a, it's a mysterious thing, this angelic thing, and I know there's weird stuff out there. People have lots of stuff to say, but there's really three angels that we know the names of. That's it. All right, and this angel Gabriel, he's a special angel, and he gets sent with the high task of announcing. She says she needs her phone because she has to call her mom. Okay. Okay, well, that's, that's, I'll trust her judgment, okay? It's okay. We're not, I'm not uh, uh, beating everybody up. It's okay. Yeah, it's in the cauldron. It's in the black cauldron of death where cell phones go to die at 212. All right. I, one of them is, yeah. It's a big one? No, she needs her phone, which is this little thing. Hers is a flip phone. All right, all right, enough phones. Golly, these phones. All right, we are going to look at three. I know, three enunciations, okay? Three. We're going to look at the enunciation of John the Baptist. All right, and that is, uh, you get this beautiful little painting here of the angel talking to Zechariah. You're going to meet this guy here in a few moments. And uh, it is recorded by the gospel writer Luke, okay? And we will look at the Annunciation to Mary, all right? And we got our little painting of Mary here talking to an angel. I love the way this artist depicts it, uh, you know, the light. And again, her story, the, the angel's encounter with Mary, is recorded for us in Luke. And honestly, when most of us, uh, you know, think about the, the Christmas story, we're really, uh, most of us are going to be wired thinking about Luke's story here. And then we're also going to look at the Annunciation to Joseph. Now, Joseph's a little bit different. His, you know, I, I love this painting. I, I tried to get this guy to let me use this on a Sunday morning. He would not because he just would not. But I love this painting. And uh, it is actually, his Annunciation is recorded by Matthew, all right? And it's not recorded. And, and there, there's reasons for this. Luke, he tells the story of Christ's birth really from Mary's perspective, all right? So whether he was uh, interviewing Mary as he put together all his stuff and he got an eyewitness with Jesus' mom and shares her personal story, or whether he got that from Peter, Luke really reports these events from Mary's perspective. Matthew, though, and again, if you go back to our very first lesson, we talked about the context. 
Matthew was trying to speak to the Jew. Well, he does it from Joseph's perspective, which makes sense in a, a patriarchal society, okay? So we get two different perspectives of, of, of these announcements. Now, Matthew, he tells the public account, right, of Christ's birth, whereas Luke, he really gives a more personal, intimate portrayal of the birth of Jesus from Mary's perspective. All right, so with that kind of framework set up, we are going to begin with the Annunciation of John the Baptist. So this is, you got to understand, there's about a 750-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want to do something real quick. All right? Everybody. I need everybody's eyes on me. Everybody. What I'm going to do is I am going to put my timer on. And we are not going to move. All right, you play, remember the freeze game when you were a little kid? I don't want you to move. I don't want you to say a peep. We are going to do that for exactly one minute. Can you guys do that? Can you play along with me? Just, just humor me for a second. It'll all make sense here in a second. But one minute of just frozenness. You can breathe or you'll die. Please don't, I mean, I guess technically you can hold your breath for a minute, but yes, you can breathe. Here we go. Nothing for one minute. Now, didn't that seem like that took forever? That took forever. One minute. And what I want you to, how many minutes are in an hour? We're going to see how smart you guys are. 60 minutes in an hour. How many hours are in a day? 24 hours in a day. How many days in a week? All right, seven. How many weeks in a year? 52. Listen to me. Almost 750 years of silence. Almost 750 years where God did not say anything to the nation of Israel. Silence. I mean, we could be uncomfortable for a minute. Almost everybody here failed miserably of just sitting still for a minute. It was too much. You had to giggle and laugh and, and, and do stuff because you couldn't do it for a minute. 750 years of nothing. Do you understand? Not that God wasn't with them, but he did not communicate anything. Except my, this, I got a plan for the future. And then drops the mic for 700 plus years. It's a heck of a gap, isn't it? And then we get to... Luke, chapter 1, verse 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him 
an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. <coughs> and you will have joy and gladness, <coughs> excuse me, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out and he was unable to speak to them, they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five Months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the, in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now, I know that was a lot of scripture, but let me set the stage here. We got two elderly people, late years of their life, who have been faithful to God. They are from, both of them have uh, priestly family ties connected to the priestly family, and they have served the Lord faithfully for many, many, many years. Elizabeth was barren, unable to conceive children. Now you got to understand in that culture, everything, everything was wrapped around continuing that family tree. There are promises made to families that involved land, all kinds of stuff. There was nothing more important to a Jewish man and woman than to produce a child that would go on to carry on their family legacy and continue these generations. So to be barren without child is a, is a major, major social stigma. It is, it is at the top of the social stigma. God must not like you because you can't produce children. It's, a, it's not just the, 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 the problem of, of uh, the heartbreak of just not being able to conceive, but there's more to it in this culture. And that is where we find them. And we find Zechariah coming on an epoch moment in his life. Now let me explain this. There were these different distributions, right? 26 separations of this family of Levi, and twice a year, your family would be called, all right, whatever your tribe was. He was from Abijah, all right? And twice a year, you would go to the temple as a, as a group, right? And out of that, well, one person each day would be voted or, or draw lots for, and they would get to go in and light the incense in the temple. It was a big deal. They'd get to do this only one time in their life. I like how, uh, to try to, I, I was trying to think of how to explain how big a deal this was, right? And I was thinking of epoch moments and not all, everybody here's like, hey, what's an epoch moment? Okay. Well, for instance, you, you could be getting your license. It could be graduating, whether it's high school or college. That's a, that's a big moment. It might be the moment uh, that, that she says or he says, I do when you get married. That's a, that's a hallmark moment in life that we hold on to. It might be the 
the first time you look at that little baby in your arms and, and, and see, that's a milestone. That's an epoch moment in life for a lot of folks. That's a special time. John MacArthur does a really good job on his commentary of explaining how significant this moment was for Zechariah. Because of the large number of priests, most would never, ever be chosen to get the honor of going in and lighting that incense. Most would never get chosen. When they cast lots for that to happen, it was always God had determined. And for a guy who probably walked through this culture feeling like God did not like him because he couldn't have kids, you can imagine that the significance of being chosen to do this probably really hit him hard. And it wasn't just that, no, not everyone to be chosen. No one was ever, ever permitted to serve in this capacity twice. Zechariah, no doubt, regarded this as the supreme moment in a lifetime of service to God. For a, 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 for a priest, this is the highest honor that you would get to go in and burn this incense before God. It's a big deal for Zechariah. And what's crazy is, it, yeah, it was a big deal he got to light the incense, and even bigger deals about to happen. When he gets inside, he gets inside and he lights the incense, and all of a sudden there's an angel. Now, most of us, because we have been so brainwashed by Hollywood, we think of an angel, and it ain't no baby in a diaper. It ain't any other kind of baby either, just for the record. I don't know what angels look like. All I know is when they show up on the scene, everybody has to hear the same thing immediately from the angel, which is exactly what Zechariah hears. Do not be afraid. They don't look like what they look like on TV. Whatever they look like, the very first thing they've got to communicate is don't be afraid. And that's what he communicates to Zechariah. And then he gives him some good news. The good news is your wife, your, your senior citizen wife is going to bear a son. You're going to name him John, and he will be great before the Lord. Your son must never drink alcohol, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the day he is born. He's going to lead the people to repent, to turn away from their sins, and to turn towards God. And he is going to make ready a people for the Lord. He is preparing the way for another one that is to come. Now, he gets this great news, but what is Zechariah's response? It's important we grab this. It is doubt. How is this possible? I'm an old man. She's an old woman. Get real here, buddy. How is this possible? And I love Gabriel's response. I am going to quote one of my favorite preachers, Ken Graves, and essentially uh, he gets assurance and he gets a light rebuke. He says, uh, seriously, dude, I'm an angel standing here talking to you in the temple. My name is Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Shut up. That's going to be your sign that this happens. And so Zechariah is unable to speak until the birth of John. Matter of fact, the very first thing he will communicate is his name is John. All right, until he does that, he's not able to speak again. Elizabeth's response, because he does, he completes his week, he goes home. Sure enough, even though he can't tell his wife, you know, verbally what's happening, she conceives. And she spends five months, you can just picture it, this grateful woman. God has taken away my pain. And he has given me a child. And five months of just wonder and gratitude, just praising the Lord. Just praising the Lord, thanking him for, for seeing her. Now, you got to understand, they were faithful for a really, really long time. They went through pain for a really, really long time. It might have been tempting even to think that God had forgotten about me here, but he hadn't. Now, we're going to transition to the Annunciation to Mary. We're going to look at Mary's story, and we pick that up. We continue in Luke, in chapter 1, uh, verse 26 through 38. Stay with me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin 
betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And again, I love this, this picture, but I have a slight problem with this picture and really with most pictures of Mary. Now, when you look at this, I mean, that's pretty good, but I... And this is a tough one. I don't think we really get Mary. Uh, I mean, a, a probably a little better, more accurate picture as far as understanding Mary's situation. She's going to look more like this. Mary was young. Matter of fact, most theologians, based on that time period, this will mess you up. Mary was probably at most. 15 to 16 years old. Mary was your age. Now, before you deviants run off in some crazy direction on that, you need to understand a few things. We need to deal with this concept of betrothal. So before you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm 15 or 16, maybe I need to get married and have me a kid. Wait. All right, we need to understand what the word betrothed means and what that actually looked like in this culture. So to be betrothed, you need to understand that marriages were arranged entirely by parents. Do you understand? Your mom and your dad, they might have babies immediately and say, well, I like your family, and I like the values you have in your family. Well, the babies are still nursing, and they'll say, look, I, I, we're going to marry our, our families together. That's beneficial for both of us. And really, it was the parents. The notion that, oh, we're going to fall. No, 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 no. Parents arranged this. All right? The period of betrothal itself usually lasted around 12 months. All right, and during that betrothal period, the promised groom would build their home, and that home was most often attached directly to his father's home. And once approved by the father of the promised bride, in other words, it's good enough for my baby girl here, the marriage ceremony would be planned. Betrothal was nothing at all like our modern concept of dating. In fact, our modern concept of dating, the way we think about meeting people, is only a couple hundred years ago. And all you had to do is look at the divorce. I, I would not necessarily say it's the best model. I love, I talked to Alan this week. He had a, a, a woman at Ozark Christian College, a young lady that was down there who was from India. And she was just getting ready to graduate. She was going home. And she's communicating to the teachers, and this young lady looks at them and says, oh yeah, I'm going home, uh, you know, she's been over here for almost four years, and I'm getting married. Oh, who's the guy? Oh, I, she didn't even know. She knew the guy's name, but he's like, wait a minute, how are you going to meet this guy? Da -da 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 -da. And she goes, look, this is how it works. Our parents arranged this. How can you do that? You know, they're trying to understand it. And she goes, look, I don't know anything about marriage. I don't know anything about husbands and being a wife. My mom and dad, they know a lot about that. They made this choice. And they looked at her and said, well, what about, what about love? What about falling in love with this guy? 
And she looked at him just plain a day. She's like, well, I'll learn to love him and he'll learn to love me. And that was marriage for them. Looks a lot different than any ideas that we get. And what I'm trying to tell you is back then, that was the attitude. It's betrothal. And it was, they did not live together during that time. They didn't, uh, you know, smooch around, all that stuff. No, 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 no. They did call each other husband and wife before they were married. This betrothal thing was serious. It was actually way, uh, way more than our modern concept of an engagement. In fact, it was so legally binding of an agreement that it could only be dissolved by death or divorce. So before you read, Mary was 15 or 16, what does that mean? Well, you better understand the whole thing here. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. These families were, were united, and this angel shows up on the scene, and this young lady who never knew a man, she, she was a virgin, she had never had sex. In that culture, that would have gotten her ostracized big time. Uh, she's told she's going to conceive a kid. She's got to communicate that, by the way, to Joseph, which is quite a thing, as you can imagine. And the angel begins, though, like, it, like the angel always begins. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he's got good news for Mary. You're going to bear a son. He will be great, which is kind of the, the same thing uh, Zechariah got to hear. Your son's going to be great. But Mary gets a little deeper promise here. He will be the son of the most high God. Now for us, when we think of son, sonship and that kind of thing, we don't think of it the same way this culture understood it. When they say he's going to be the son of the most high God, that is making him equal, all right? Equal to the most high God. Goes on, he will be the son of David, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, the promised king that will reign forever, the promised Messiah, and yes, the promise that his kingdom will never end, that it will last forever. And those are the promises, the promises to Mary. And what's Mary's response? And I want you to catch it because it's, it's subtly different than Zechariah. Zechariah asked a question out of doubt. And so he's rebuked. Mary asks a question out of practicality. How exactly is this going to take place? I mean, I kind of know something in, about how babies are made. And you're telling me, I'm not understanding how this is going to happen. And so the angel, uh, you know, he explains. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. And then he goes on to reassure her. I know this sounds miraculous, but hey, your cousin Elizabeth, that old lady, she's having a baby because nothing's impossible with God. So don't, don't worry about the details. We've got it sorted out, honey. And I love Mary's response. Faithful acceptance. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it come to pass. Let what you promised come to pass in my life. But understand, that's a, it's a heck of a thing that she's accepting there. And we'll get to that now as we transition to the Annunciation to Joseph. All right, so we're going to transition from now from Luke to Matthew. And we pick it up in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, 
he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we get this picture. Now, picture of Joseph. Joseph is just, he's a carpenter. That was probably his father's trade as well, because that's the way culture worked. What your dad was is what you were. All right, he was a young guy, a carpenter. He is, his betrothal, like I said, that was probably secured before, well, well, he was still a young, young man. And he's been waiting his entire life, right, to be married to this woman. And we get this picture that this is towards the end of their betrothal period. So they've been betrothed, really promised to each other from, from a young age, and now they're at the end of this betrothal period, and all of a sudden, this girl that he's all excited to build his life with, right? She shows up pregnant. And she tells him a story. Oh, I know this is hard to believe, Joseph, but this is God's baby. And Joseph's probably looking at Mary, thinking, uh, I think I know how babies are born. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to believe your characters. Die. This, what? And he's just trying to understand. And it says something about Joseph. I mean, you can just picture him. He's a little older from all the stress. You can just picture him trying to process this. And you get a picture of his heart. you got to understand, what he could do is very publicly be like, that little harlot got pregnant. She was promised to me. That was my betrothed wife. He could drag her into the streets, drag her into the court, ruin her family name, make demands of her father to compensate him because he's been waiting for his betrothed wife that now he's not going to get now. He could have humiliated her. He could have called for her to be stoned. She broke the betrothal. But that's not what Joseph does. Joseph is processing this. And what he decides is, I don't understand what she did. I cannot believe that this woman hurt my heart. I'm not going to humiliate her, though. I'll just put her away quietly. And I guess, man, I, I've been working hard to build this house. I, 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 don't, I guess maybe I'll just go, go there. Who knows? And he's just he's considering. He's, he's trying to figure out, what, what do I do here? I thought my life was going this direction. And now it's all falling apart. And he's a pretty good dude. You get the sense. He could have humiliated or understand. He could have he aired out all the dirty. That's not what he did. As far as that goes, I was telling somebody earlier, he reminds me a little bit, this level of honor that he had towards Mary before he had answers. Reminds me of Uriah the Hittite, who was a really honorable guy that David did a really terrible thing to. But if you read the story of Uriah, man, you, you can just tell, like, he's the kind of guy I'd want around my kids. He's an honorable dude. Joseph is an honorable man. Even in the face of tremendous heartbreak and uncertainty, He's trying to, to just do the right thing in the midst of heartbreak. And he passes out. And an angel shows up and speaks to him in a dream. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And the angel gives him some good news. You should marry Mary. Try to say that really fast. The baby she is carrying was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She's telling the truth. Your judgment on how good of a woman she was was actually right. And at, you're right. She's a good woman. She's telling you the truth, buddy. She's highly favored by God. She's going to bear a son. And you're, you're going to be a stepdad. And you're going to call him Jesus. You've got to understand, in that culture, 
the dads got to name the kids. And I was just thinking about the wonder of this earlier. We are all, that is, through all of history, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. So whether it's Abraham or Moses or David or any of the Old Testament, they are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But they never had his name. They had the promise from God, but they never had all the details. The very first person to hear the name Jesus, well, we just seen it was Mary, who's going to get tasked with this enormous responsibility, this enormous blessing, the enormous heartache that comes with carrying this child. And Joseph, this man who just moments before, however long it was before that dream started, who, who probably thought, God, do you not see me? I'm trying here and she cheated on me? Are you kidding me? Put yourself in his shoes. And he's not only going to get to hear, he's going to get to hear what Abraham didn't get to hear. He's going to get to hear what Moses didn't get to hear. He's going to get to hear what David didn't get to hear. He's going to get to hear the name of the promised son, Jesus. And not only is he going to get to hear the name, be the second person in all of existence. You and I take Jesus' name for granted. Trust me, no one knew. They got to know first. And not only is he going to get to know the name, he's going to get to be the one with the honor of saying, his name is Jesus. It's a cool deal. What an honor for, 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 for these, these scared kids going through this situation. And, and oh yeah, this Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. He is the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies from Isaiah. That's where all those, those quotes come from. Joseph, Mary. Now you got to understand the moment Mary started showing in this small little podunk town of Nazareth, everybody started talking. The moment Mary started showing, everybody started talking. They started talking about Mary. They started talking about Joseph. Our culture's loose on sex, man. They really are. It's, it, it's to an extreme that is, I mean, it was extreme when I was young, but it's nothing like it is now. Nobody cares. They should. They don't. It wasn't like that back then, though. I'll tell you that. This was major, major, major news. They were going to get ridiculed by everybody. Ostracized. Thrown out of society in all intensive forms. They knew his name first. What an honor. What an honor. Joseph's response. Faithful acceptance. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So he married Mary, right? She's showing and he marries her. How do you think his family responded to that? You know, they got all these, you know, this is a heck of a deal here. Probably lost his family over this. Probably. We don't get all the details. We don't get a lot about Joseph beyond this. Not a lot. But he did as the Lord commanded him. Joseph also, he took his wife. He, he did marry her. But it, it's key. The, the scripture actually points it out. I debated. I talked to Alan. Should I bring this up? And yes, I, I should because the scripture does. He also abstained from sex until, until, that's what the scripture, until after the birth of Jesus. Now, why is that important? Why am I saying that? Why does the scripture say that? Well, there are cults, there are other groups that would say Jesus, or that, that Mary, they would venerate her, they would put her in a position that she is not, not to be in. And they would say she never had sex. She was a virgin her whole life. And we should worship her almost as a queen of heaven like we'd worship Jesus. That is not true. Jesus had little brothers. All right. James would write the book of James. He is 
Jesus' little brother. Joseph and Mary would have other kids. He would, in fact, know his wife. All right, he would have that at some point. And the reason I bring that up is because even in our culture today, there's plenty of groups who would argue against that. Scripture's really clear on it, though. So it's worth pointing it out. And that way, if somebody asks you or somebody says something, you say, whoa, 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 this is what it says right here. Matthew chapter 1, all right? It's like right there. This is obvious. And so you got to an answer for that. It's important that we have these answers. There's lots of people saying lots of things about lots of Jesuses. We need to know what the truth is. And there's the truth. So, what's the point? Right? What's the point? First of all, I want you to catch. God worked in an extraordinary manner through ordinary people. Joseph wasn't some king. He was just a dude, a carpenter. Mary was just a 16-year-old girl in her culture. Nothing spectacular, you know what I'm saying? She didn't just jump off the page. She wasn't, you know, uh, yeah, you fighting, so, you know, fighting soldiers, some crazy princess in a castle. No, she's a regular, regular girl in a, in, a, in a town smaller than Union. You know what I mean? Nazareth was just a hole in the wall. They were just regular people. They weren't the fancy people. But he used them. He used them. And why does it matter? Well, okay, God is faithful. God works through faithful people. I want you to catch that. Every, there's choices here being made by these people that demonstrate their heart towards God, their faithfulness. We see it in Zechariah and Elizabeth, who just faithfully kept serving. Faithfully serving in spite of what? Heartache? Pain? I'm telling you, they were judged by society because they didn't have kids. He went to work every day, surrounded by priests who thought, what a loser. Can't even have a kid. God must have a judgment on him. And he would end up giving birth. He'd be the dad to John the Baptist, who's an important person. We'll get to him. Mary and Joseph, trust me, they, they took some heat. Uh, it seems like our culture has changed. I can promise when Jeremy and I were in school, a 15-year-old girl turned up pregnant. It was a pretty big deal, wasn't it, Jeremy? As our society has drifted further from God's values, it's a little less controversial. But it's, back then, <laughs> as big of a gap as it is, it's an even bigger gap on the other side, and it was a huge deal. But they were faithful. Mary didn't look at the angel and say, uh-uh, not for me, no sir. I'm going to lose my family over that, lose my place in society over that. Nope, she didn't do that. She was faithful. Let it be as you say. Joseph didn't wake from his dream and say, what a nightmare. <laughs> I'm not going to give up my whole future for this. Nope. God is faithful, which means I can absolutely trust God to fulfill his promises and to work his will in my life. And sometimes, a lot of times, I love that beginning video, and he talks about what is happening in the lives of the apostles and how terrible circumstances can be sometimes, and yet Jesus is enough. Jesus is still leading and working. Jesus did not forget Zechariah and Elizabeth. Jesus is not ignoring uh, Mary and Joseph, even as the society would push against them, even as they couldn't find room in the end, right? He's with them. He's with you right now. He's with you in whatever situation you're going through, whatever that looks like in your life. We're all different. We all got different trials and tribulations that we go through, and Jesus is there, and he is enough to carry us through, whatever that looks like. And even if it feels like he's not, he is. I promise you, Zechariah and Elizabeth cried. Joseph wept. My, my bride-to-be has betrayed me. But God was with him, wasn't he? Working it all for good. He had a plan and a purpose. God is faithful, and he will fulfill his promises in my life. And ultimately, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises, and he is my direct and only connection 
to those promises and His will in my life. There is no other way. It is Jesus. Jesus is enough. He is with me now. He will be with me tomorrow. He will be with me the next day. He is unending, unchanging. His resources are never out. He is eternal. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the firstborn, the last. He is. He is. He just is. He is my protector. He is your protector. He was Zachariah and Elizabeth's protector. He was with Mary and Joseph. And he's with you. No matter what the mess looks like, he's with you you. And that's really good news. You don't need to be afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for the annunciations. Thank you, you know, after all those years of silence, you just, in an instant, burst onto the scene and speak and do these crazy, miraculous things. Things that had never been done before and that would never be done again. To deliver on your promise, all of your promises, down to very specific promises, your faithfulness on display for all the world to see if they will all just, just open their eyes and look. And Lord, with that, the promise that every, everything that you have said will come to pass exactly as you say. You are 100% accountable. You are 100% faithful. Your resources are unending. And for each and every person who have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, you are 100% at all times on their side working all things for good. And that is really, really good news for each and every person here. So, Lord, I pray for each and every person here that they would know you, that you would open their eyes, their hearts to see you, to recognize your fingerprints on their life, that they're not here even in this building at this moment, at this time, at this very hour on accident. They didn't just stumble in here, but this is your divine purpose, your providence, your work in their lives, that you would open their eyes and open their hearts to see you. And to know that they are not alone, that they do not need to be afraid. Thank you for your goodness and your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for this day. And thank you so much as we approach Resurrection Sunday, as we approach Easter and we celebrate our risen King. Thank you for conquering death for all who would just trust in your name. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for the victory. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.